Um, because, like I shared last week, uh, sometimes you're reminded of parental things that you, in phases that you go through. One of those is teaching a child to ride a bike. And we talked last week about how uh, important it is to teach that child you've got to keep pedaling. You've got to keep in motion uh, that there's balance and, and physics involved among everything else. But one of the things, I, I, as I was thinking about this passage and, and that whole analogy, and like I said, you know, they all break down at one point or another. But one of the things I didn't do as a dad is say, this is going to hurt. We're going to teach you to ride a bike because this is going to hurt. You're going to fall. You're going to get scrapes. You're going to get, you know, bumps and bruises and all the, you know, all that. That's not how you teach a child to ride a bike. Now, you might say, and I did to my nieces, you know, there will be times you fall. It's important that you get back up on the bike and keep riding. That there's a perspective that we should hold as we learn that there will be times that, you know, but, but there's so much more freedom, so much more adventure that is ahead of you than just the times where you fall. As we continue in Colossians chapter 2, Paul is dealing with issues. And he knows that these issues have moments where some will deal with times of falling. But for him, as this pastor over, overseeing the church, he also understands, though, that he wants them to understand the freedom, the adventure that is found in Christ rather than just the pain of the fall. That there's so much more to live for and into in Christ than just those times uh, otherwise. And so Paul is just encouraged in verses 6 and 7 for, for them to continue to live in Christ, to, to look forward, you know, live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it says in chapter 1. And, and so that as they do that, that they will be root, deeply rooted, that they will be built up, that they will be strengthened in Christ so that they will live a life that is overflowing in thankfulness that all of God has for them and continues to do in them. As I talked with Anita this week, she kept telling me, you know what? God's got this. I'm at peace in everything that's going on because she understood this time on earth, in this phase, it's special, but it stands nothing in comparison to the glorious homecoming that Kent has already experienced now. That there is so much more. It's, it's not about the death, it's about the resurrection. And so that's the perspective that Paul is trying to in, reinforce into his readers. And so as, as a result, Paul now is getting into the more of the specifics of what's going on at hand. Remember, he has never been to Colossae, as far as we know. 
And he is, in, in fact, writing as a, as a result, while he's in jail, writing a letter to this church because the pastor has come and said, hey, there's some things we could use your help and guidance in. And so Paul understands in the midst of that that the power of the church isn't in the buildings, it's not in the programs, but it's in the very lives of the people that have responded to the gospel and as a result have taken up their cross and followed Christ. And so Paul sees that power and that integrity of the church is only found as we live into Christ. And so he's now dealing with this Greek teaching that these people have, this church um, have grown up with that has been ingrained into their thinking and, and all that's going on. And he's, he's dealing with some counter ideas to the gospel of Christ. And so it, one of the big things is this early understanding of the Gnostic belief that, that there's, that there's two, this dualism, that there's you know, the body and it's bad. Everything on this earth is bad, even though we know from the very beginning that God declared it good. That, you know, this human, everything associated with this human body is bad, bad, bad. And so, but, but the spirit is good. And, and, and so they keep talking and they try to add, because the body is bad, you have to add all these other things and you have to persecute the body and you have to do all this. And Paul is kind of trying to counter against that. And at the same time, you have this Jewish element that has, that is within the church, Throughout, obviously. But they're trying to sway these Gentiles into a Jewish understanding of how to do all these different things. And so you have to add and you have to have all these laws and, and this formal uh, regulations of the body and all these different things. And so Paul is responding to the problems largely by instead of talking about the problems although we get a sense in the letter, we're only seeing from one side, he, he's more focusing on the answer of what it is to be in Christ, that we are complete in Christ. And so those who have put their faith in Christ, that, that have found their foundation in Christ, we understand that, and Paul warns us, don't be taken hostage. Don't, you know, if you, if you haven't noticed, deception is rampant. Not just in Paul's day, but even in our day. In fact, uh, there's people trying to deceive us at, at a lot of different places. And because of that, that, that deception that is rampant in our world, we understand that your car's limited warranty is probably set to expire. And if you will just pay me or give me your, your bank information or your credit card information, I'll be glad to take care of that for you. Now, Paul wasn't dealing with that, but he understands that there were teachings that were trying to take the focus of people's minds and their hearts. They were trying to mess these people up because they wanted them to conform to their image instead of the image of Christ. And, and so they're doing their best to weigh uh, in making these philosophies and these, these different thought processes sound good. 
sounds so enticing. And, and you know, deception abounds, and speaking spiritually, it's no different. And so Paul declares, see to it that no one takes you captive. This word captive is, is very much could be translated kidnapped. It's also an image of those that have been conquered in war and are being dragged away into slavery. That uh, you can probably name people even in your own life who you've seen captive by certain teachings and, and habits in their lives. And, and it's difficult to escape from in even as if you were physically held hostage. And that's why Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. And while deception is something that promises so much, it delivers nothing. Paul specifically warns about these deceptive philosophies of this world, that, that, that things will be proposed, that they will be taught, you know, even as if they were true. That they will be endorsed in, in, by people of authority, and they're going to try and take hold and conform you to their image, or at least what they think should be the image. And philosophy is, is a word that that we need to understand, it's, it's a harmless word in and of itself. It just means a lover of wisdom. And there's nothing wrong with desiring wisdom. The difference, though, is it becomes a problem when we try to answer the questions outside of the Word of God. That we try to answer these questions outside the revelation of, of who Christ is is and what he has done and because philosophy alone is just man's wisdom or experience that is often manipulated and deceptive. 1 Corinthians 1 contrasts the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world. That simply put God's wisdom is found in a person the physical being of Jesus Christ. More specifically, what God did through the death and resurrection of his son, that the Greeks didn't understand it. They, they thought it foolishness, stupidity, nonsense. It was laughable to think that anything that had a physical reality could be of any value. But we have to remember, Corinth, like Colossae, is a Greek city. They're filled with Greek philosophy and the pride of their teachers. And, and so the word of Jesus and his crucifixion was like foolishness in their ears. It didn't make sense. It didn't compute. But the hope that we have isn't found in our human ability to fully grasp and understand everything. Our hope is only understood in what God has done for us on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter th I mean, verse 30 and 31 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. 
that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christ is our wisdom. He is our boast. God's wisdom is fully embodied in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He is the antidote, the solution the, to empty human philosophy. And so verse 9 starts with one of the clearest statements of who Jesus is. Paul constantly wants us to look to Christ. Stop getting lost in all this other stuff and keep your focus in where it's supposed to be. Because whenever you come up against any argument, look to Christ. If you want to know how you're supposed to live, look to Christ. If you want to know what your attitude, your, your presumption should be, look to Christ. He doesn't want us to forget that the complete fullness of God is, was fully existent in a fully human man. And that man, Paul says, in him you have been made complete. Lack nothing. When Jesus performed miracles in his time on earth, he healed people completely. It wasn't a partial healing or even a gradual healing. When it was done, it was complete, it was final. The deaf would hear, the blind would see, the lame would walk, and as wonderful as that was and is, his greatest work is a full, complete healing of salvation for all mankind. Like his physical healings, it's complete, it's entire, and it's final. It's perfect. When we are in Christ, salvation is complete. Nothing needs to be added. The, the working out of it in your life will take a lifetime, but it's in response to what God has already done, not trying to add more to it. So even as you receive it, it is fully complete. Remember, Paul is giving the antidote to spiritual deception. He's saying, why would you look to anything else for any kind of answer? There is nothing else needed outside of the reality of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Nothing needs to be added, and so Jesus instructs us, remain in me. Be connected to the vine. The point is that in Christ, God has provided a complete salvation. You are complete in Christ when you rest in him. So then in verse 11 and 12, Paul continues. And now he's, he's dealing with this argument that, that the Gentiles, they need to participate in some things, some, some very rituals and way to live and in, in, to, to form and be part of Christ and what God's plan was, specifically they were trying to tell them physically, you need to be circumcised, men. In the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign of being a part of the Abrahamic covenant. And that every Jewish male was to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, the tradition uses circumcision to identify those who were inside versus those who were outside of God's covenant. It was to be the same 
tangible sign in the midst of the flesh of, that clearly distinguished the Jews from the non-Jews. So to be a part of God's covenant, and it demanded this mark of circumcision as an expression of obedience to God. But Paul understood it uh, more like what Isaiah and, and Jeremiah also understood is that circumcision wasn't something that was ever intended to be the only visible attribute of a person in God's covenant. That it wasn't just about what was performed by human hands. Paul understood more and more importantly that it's spiritual, that it's within, that it's something God does in the heart. And it, as it integrates and connects through the Spirit to the lives of believers with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, all believers have full and complete identification with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. We live into that promise, that hope, that security of understanding that as long as we live in him, he's taking care of what we need. It means that a believer will never, in God's view, be independent of Jesus Christ as long as we remain in him. That in terms of our position before God, we're, we're perfectly righteous and completely whole as long as we remain in Christ. Because Jesus' own righteousness is ours. To say it better, Jesus himself is our righteousness. In your sin, you were dead. You had no hope. But now in Christ, you have been and are resurrected along with Christ, that he, you are made fully alive, a perfect new creation. The adventure stands before you. The promise of hope stands before you. And that's why Paul in Galatians chapter 6 says, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted by the cross of Christ, or for the cross of Christ. Verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. You see, this perfect and complete uh, identification with Christ is given by God's grace. We don't purchase it. We don't earn it. We, we can't just claim it here and, and then live no, we fully identify with Christ and in Christ. And that's why it says over and over and over in Colossians that we are in him or with him constantly. In terms of our walk, believers may slip up, and we do. And God deals with us as a heavenly father will. But as long as we remain in Christ, as long as we submit our lives continually to Christ, as we deny ourselves daily, and we pick up our cross and follow Christ. We are for full participants in the hope and eternal inheritance that comes with the resurrection. Verses 13 through 15 is, is, is amazing in that it talks about complete forgiveness. You see, we can focus on either falling or we can focus on the living. We can focus on the falling and the pain, or we can focus on the hope and the eternal gift that God has given us. 
Paul describes our state before coming to Christ to, um, as dead in our sins or in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. But now, but now, you were this, but now you are alive in Christ. You, you, you are fully forgiven. In Christ, we are offered complete forgiveness. He, he took on, he paid for, he forgave all our sins. In, in verse 14, Paul writes about this written code as it's translated in, in the NIV. It, it's, it's really literally a, the word means handwritten. It, and we talked about this in Philippians as well. It's this understanding to, of, of debt. That there would be a handwritten note that, well, you owe me for this, and you owe me for that, and you owe me for this, and oh, don't forget that. And there would be this certificate of debt or a written code that would define how much you owed to one person or another. And it was used by those who were in debt, and they would sign the document saying, yes, I understand that I owe to this person. And until it was paid off, I owed. And they, they may have had several of those documents. I also read, and, and this is the one that just b continues to blow my mind, that, that uh, a similar thing existed for prisoners. Basically, they would have their charges and the penalties due to them, shy of death, written on a paper and, and nailed above their cell. And until their debt was paid that forever stood above them, listing their crimes and their debts and the punishment that they had to pay. But Paul is saying that we have each had, at one point, this certificate of death, with our, of, of debt, with our name on it before a holy God. And you might think about it, and, and maybe you don't really want to, of, well... You know, I could think of a lot of things that would be on this page. In fact, I'd probably need a lot of pages to, to fill out how I have not honored God. And your sins that you would be committed would list it on that, and it doesn't make for very pleasant thoughts. Again, we can focus on the fall. We can focus on the pain and the misery and the scrapes and the bruises and, and all the different things. But Paul points to what has happened here is that your debt was nailed to the cross. That handwritten note that, that wrote all the different things where you fell short of the glory of God has been taken and in Christ it has been nailed above him and Jesus said I'll take it I'll deal with it and in, in referenced in that day was also this understand understanding that when the debt was paid the person that that the debt had been owed to would take that handwritten certificate of debt and write the word tetelestea And it, and it means finished, paid in full. And think about this. If you look to Matthew, in, in the, that's the last spoken word of Christ 
on the cross. It is finished. It has been paid in full. Victory has been complete on your behalf, on my behalf. I don't have to add anything to it. I don't have to go and put myself on the cross because Christ has bared the penalty for you and me. All I have to do is live into it. Not fearful of what once was, but instead in hope and full assurance of what is to come. It's a difference in perspective that leads to a lot of adventure. And in Christ you are free, free indeed. Paul's declaring that holy living can occur in a world that remains hostile to God's grace because the overwhelming grace of God confronts everything that has conquered and uh, in, in, in put in front of us. The power of sin, death, and the law is no more because Christ has fully conquered it. Don't miss this. The focus here isn't on the place of sin in believers, even though that's a reality in the world that we live in. Paul's focus is on the grace that has come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we don't get caught up in once was... Instead, we live into the overflowing thankfulness of what is to be found in Christ. Christ is in charge. He's disarmed the powers and the authorities that once held you captive, and he has set you free. And we look at the whole of this, even into last week in verse 6 and 7, Paul's constantly encouraging the Colossians, and ultimately us, to abound in that freedom to abound in living into what God has done for us in thankful living, that we would practice a heart of thankfulness in everything that we do. It's one of the greatest ways we can remind ourselves of all that Christ has done. Isaiah 61 says that for the faint of spirit, the spirit of heaviness, we put on a garment of praise because it's hard for the enemy to attack us. When we are actively praising God for what he has already done for us. Paul encourages the believers in Colossae to stay rooted, to stay established. We, we studied it this past week in Ephesians that we are to stand firm together. Don't give up. Don't give ground. The gratitude and praise are vital elements to growing in maturity in Christ. And as we declared Jesus to be the Messiah and Lord of our lives, we're reminded that our lives should be evidence of Christ's transforming work to the world around us. So how do you do that? You root yourself in God's word. There's no greater weapon. In fact, it's the only weapon in Ephesians listed that, that is offensive in, in its way. It, but you, you, it's the only thing that can conquer and help. There's no greater uh, weapon against this world and our sinful hearts and the philosophies, the hollow philosophies of this world than God's word. And it's the way we stay rooted in him. We, we, we stay and we take in God's word daily. And when everything else seems to give way, the world is too great to bear. 
We stay close and we tie into God's word and we let it give us strength and confidence and blessed assurance. Because living in God's word will help you from getting captured by false teaching. But we also remind ourselves of God's forgiveness. Don't forget the beauty of grace and mercy that is captured for you and me at Calvary. Remind yourself daily of the forgiveness that God grants you in his son. When the world tells you it's all about your effort, your accolades, your goodness, your morals, your competency, or on the other side, your failures. Stand on the truth that you are seen in Christ. Remind yourself that it's not about you. It's about him. It's not about what you've done, good or bad. It's about what Christ has accomplished in and for you. And then respond in thanksgiving. In all things, respond with thanksgiving. Give thanks. In every circumstance, give thanks. Paul, Paul says, abound in thanksgiving. He doesn't say abound in fear, abound in, in doubt. He says, abound in thanksgiving. Let gratitude spring from your heart and from your mouth. Let your words be those of Psalm 126. The Lord has gotten great things for us. We are glad. Graduates, you have a choice like the rest of us. There, there is a ton of opportunity in front of you, a life. Andrew yesterday said, I was warned that high school would go really fast. I didn't believe it. He says, last thing I knew, I'm now graduating. And I'm sure mom and dad thought it was going to take a while for you to get to this point too. <laughs> this world is going to come at you in lots of ways. They're going to come at you with lots of philosophies and lots of thoughts they are going to try to lull you in one way or the other. Stand firm. Know God's word. Trust in what God has already done for you. And live into the adventure of freedom that is found in God's holiness, not man's self-righteousness. Let me pray for you all. Heavenly Father, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. For you have done for me what I could not do for myself. That in and of my own capacity, death in the grave is the only thing that I would ever see. That while the fun and the adventure in this world is, is, is definitely there, in scope of the promise of an eternity with you, nothing compares. God, we do pray for our graduates today, both college and especially our high schoolers. As they journey into this next phase of life, God bless them. You've done 
and your, their parents have done their best to help prepare them to this phase. But God, give them strength to stand firm in your truth, in your love and in your grace. And may all of us continue to do so. We can remember our various graduations and the adventure that awaited. But God, nothing compares to the adventure of a life lived with you. Go with us this week as you send us into the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name, and praise to you. In your name we pray, amen. Go and be a blessing.